Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we're continuing our series, God's Provision, as we look at Psalm chapter 23, verses 4 to 6. So let's go to Dr. Newfeld now as he presents a message entitled, The Shepherd Protects. There's a road in Bolivia, or a stretch of road, I guess. It's about 60 kilometers long, and it's called El Camino del Muerte. In English, that translates to the road of death. You know, that stretch of road that descends from La Paz, high up in the mountains, down to the beautiful rainforest of the Amazon River, has been called the most dangerous road in the world. An average of 26 vehicles fall off that steep embankment of that road every year. Between 200 to 300 people lose their lives on that road every year. That road has no guardrails. It has very steep hillsides on one side and sheer cliffs on the other. The road is subject to frequent fog and rain, and in many places it's very narrow. The surface often becomes muddy, and loose rocks frequently slide down the hillside. Now, I've never traveled on that road, and I actually have no plans of going there. But I have been up a very treacherous road in Peru that leads to the ancient site of Machu Picchu. It has frequent switchbacks and a very steep cliffs into a a gorge below. I rode it on a bus, and when buses meet each other on that road, one of them frequently has to back up in places that I'm actually trying not to remember. And on one trip up, I had been there the day before, but on this day, it had rained heavily the day before, and the road was quite muddy. I sat across from the bus driver, and as we approached the base of the place where the road begins to rise steeply into the mountain, the bus came to a stop, and I watched the bus driver sigh deeply, cross himself with a sign of a cross, and then we began to drive. And I must say, when he did that, I thought of Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or in that case, I guess, even though I drive through the narrow cliffside roadway, On the mountain of death, I will fear no evil. Psalm 23, as I've said, is the most famous of the 150 Psalms, and it might be the most memorized passage in the entirety of the Bible. The theme of the Psalm is the remarkable statement, I shall not want. David, the author of the Psalm, now in his later years of life, says that the Lord, the God of Israel, is his shepherd, and, and because of that, he has no wants. There's nothing he needs. The good shepherd has been shepherding him in such a way that he's satisfied. Nothing is lacking. Everything has been supplied. It's not because David has had a charmed life. He's been both a king and a refugee. He's been called a traitor to his king. He has been hunted, and he has had to depend on the good favor of others in order to survive. And even after he became king, he had to confront his own sin as well as a civil war led by his own traitorous son. And yet the man who has experienced all of that reflects on his God whom he calls his shepherd and comes to the conclusion that he has no want, he's satisfied. You know, yesterday I addressed the first illustration that David provided. David said that every day God has provided for him. He meant in terms of his basic needs, food, shelter, and clothing. But he also meant in terms of providing him with peace and quiet, in terms of forgiveness of sins and a restored soul. And he meant in terms of guidance, as God's word showed him what is the good in the right way. That's provision. That's daily needs. But now David, a man who has known both intrigue and war, speaks of his shepherd who has provided him with safety. So I'm reading Psalm 23, verses 4 to 6. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice, would you, that David mentions three areas in life in which everyone feels threatened. First, he mentions the fear of death. Second, the fear of enemies who plot our ruin. In that case, that also might come with the threat of death, but it can also be the threat of financial harm, the threat of slander, or a, or a hundred different ways that our enemies seek to harm us. And then third, David mentions the fear that many of us have over what the future holds. I think these three areas, death, enemies, and the future, cover the largest part of all of our fears. So let's look at each one of them in turn. First, the fear of death. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You know, the valley of the shadow of death refers to the experience both of sheep and of the experience of travelers. Let me explain the second first, that is the experience of travelers. You know, when on a journey in places where there was no access to protection, valleys were especially dangerous. So when you were in a valley, you would be surrounded by hills and mountains where thieves and robbers would lurk. So you might remember that in Luke 10, Jesus told the parable of the man who was on a journey and he was robbed and beaten while going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And if you've been in that part of the world, you'll know how steep that road actually is. You know, Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level and Jericho is 846 feet below sea level. And the distance between those two places is about 20 miles or 30 kilometers. Now, in 20 miles, that path descends by about 3,300 feet. So you have to imagine the canyons and the easy places for thieves to await vulnerable travelers. And that's a great illustration of the valley of death. Traveling through valleys was risky. It could mean death. Now, remember, I said the valley of the shadow of death meant something to travelers, but it also meant something for sheep. Because sheep are defenseless animals, their survival is directly tied to the skill and the courage and the commitment of their shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus tells of the shepherd who's a hireling, and when trouble comes, he runs away. But you might also remember that just before David fought Goliath, he explains to King Saul that he's not afraid of that giant. After all, he says on one occasion, as a shepherd, he killed a lion, and on another occasion, he killed a bear. So imagine a shepherd in a location where a lion might think that, that sheep are just the ticket. I mean, they don't run fast. They don't put up a fight. They're just like going to McDonald's and grabbing a hamburger. It's, it's that easy, except for the shepherd. If the shepherd was brave and skillful, then, then the lion may be in danger rather than the sheep. And David has been saying that the Lord is his shepherd. And now he pictures himself in the valley of death. And like a sheep, he could have been killed without much effort. And that was certainly the case when, when King Saul was chasing him or when he was in, in Philistia, the king of Gath, Ahimelech, was encouraged to kill David. He's like a sheep for the slaughter. But, says David, God was my shepherd. And for that reason, I had a very strong defense indeed. The word that David uses is that the rod and staff of his shepherd had protected him. Those are not two images, as if a shepherd carries both. Those two images are, in fact, one. Every shepherd would carry a stick, both to keep the sheep from straying into danger and also as a weapon that was used against potential predators. So let's make an application. 
You might wonder how any of this can be true. I mean, for David, he might have been spared from death on a number of occasions, but as you know, in the end, death did get him as it gets all of us. And the shadow of death continues to loom over not just the human race, but us as well. You know, I've said it before and will say it now. I know that in my future, if Christ delays his coming, my future contains a coffin and an open grave. Well, what then shall we say of this shadow? Let me quote the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, Death in its substance has been removed, and only the shadow remains. Someone has said that when there is a shadow, there must be light somewhere, and so it is. Death stands by the side of the highway in which we have to travel, and the light of heaven shining upon him throws a shadow across our path. Let us then rejoice that there is a light beyond. Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us." End quote. That's a great word. You know, Spurgeon went on to say that the saint does not walk in the valley, but through the valley. We're on our way to the other side. And because of the cross of Jesus and his glorious resurrection, even death itself has lost its authority. And David, who was writing as a prophet, even though he knows nothing of the cross and the resurrection, he knows because of the revelation that God has given him that death has been defeated. The valley of the shadow no longer terrifies the believer. And you, my dear listener, when you walk into that valley, as you approach your own death, would you remember that death is just a shadow, even though that shadow is exceedingly dark? Remember, you're walking through the valley. Your place is not to remain in the valley. Walk through and walk boldly because your shepherd has strong tools to ensure that you will emerge safe from all that seek your undoing. Back to the Bible Canada, Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, and the Back to the Bible ministry team has just returned from our second Israel experience, and what a blessing. Each year we've left knowing that some were left behind because of a designed limited capacity and our desire to ensure a uniqueness of intimacy with each event. Well, the uniqueness of intimacy is a non-negotiable, but we also want to make sure as many as possible have opportunity to participate in Back to the Bible Canada's Israel Experience. So even though we've just returned, we're announcing the Israel Experience 2019 today. Join us April 28th through May 6th, 2019, and consider including the Jordan Extension from May 6th through May 11th, 2019. Last year, we were booked to capacity in only the first few months, so don't be disappointed. Call today for all the 2019 Israel Experience information you'll need at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. is a terrible thing. It paralyzes the soul. It makes cowards of us all. It extinguishes faith in God, and it causes us to act immorally. The greatest of all fears is the fear of death. But David has seen that death has lost its sting and that the tools of the good shepherd are to be counted on. Trust in the shepherd and death itself will not harm you. Now David moves from the greatest of all of our fears, death, to another great fear. 
And here he's referring to our enemies. And you might remember that David had a great many of them. He had met and conquered Goliath on the battlefield. He had survived the insane suspicion of a deranged and evil king, King Saul. He had survived the many in Israel who, while he was a hunted man, would have turned him in for the money. Or consider Psalm 54, a psalm of David. The psalm begins with an explanation. It says, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? Or Psalm 56, which begins with the words, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. And you might know the context. David is on the run from Saul and flees to Philistia because people in Israel are willing to betray him. And he ends up in Gath, the very place where Goliath was from. And at that very time, David was wearing Goliath's sword. And the Philistines were trying to get the king of Gath, that Philistine city, to put David to death. But of course, David saw more enemies than that. He had enemies when he became king because power attracts enemies. In Psalm 41, verse 5, he writes, My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? In Psalm 56, verse 2, he says, My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. In verse 5, he adds, All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. In Psalm 59, verses 3 to 4, he says, Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. And then in the next verse, he says, For no fault of mine they run and make ready. Now, in each one of those statements of David, and in many more, he celebrates that God has delivered him from his enemies. Now, when you read this, you might wonder if this deliverance from from enemies is a promise for all of God's people. I mean, after all, some of you who are listening to my voice right now think of people who have done you great harm and you feel like you've not been delivered from them and they've gotten away with it. You know, some time ago, I was told of a man who had deeply been wounded by another so-called Christian. And he said, I can't even be around that man. He destroyed my life. Now, I took those words personally because that same man had done me more harm than any other person that I've ever encountered in all of my ministry. And I won't recount any details for obvious reasons, but I hasten to add this. After this man had done me much harm, I went to God in prayer. And I said, O Lord, I do not want what this man has done to me to become the defining feature of my life. I want you to be the defining feature of my life. If I'm ruined, then I want you to ruin me and not my enemies. And God spoke. Indeed, God set my feet on solid ground. And and out of the evil that this man did, God did a greater good in me. And even though this is personal to me, it's not unique to me. God really does set a table for his servants in the presence of our enemies. A banquet of goodness is given by God in the presence of evil that is done to us. So what does that mean? Listen up. This is so important. It means that God prepares a table of his goodness and his care and love for us in the full view of our enemies. God feeds me and protects me and blesses me while my enemies watch. And notice that doesn't say that God removes my enemies. Of course, in due time, he will. I'm here reminded of Paul's statements in Romans 12, verse 19, where he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, the further teaching is that if our enemy is hungry, we feed him. That's to say, if it should come about that we have an opportunity to get even with our enemy, don't you do it. 
Instead, if that opportunity arises, make sure that you bless your enemy. But here's the truth of the matter. If the one who did evil to you does not repent, God will address the matter. It is his to avenge, not ours. Our task is to wait and see. God will take care of the matter in his own time. It's for this reason that we need only wait. Either those who sought our harm repent or are judged, but leave the matter to God. In the meantime, rest secure in God's blessing. Never forget Joseph, who was sold into slavery and who became a key leader in Egypt and was used to save the brothers who sold him into into Egypt. Never let his example be far from you. Well, what a wonderful psalm. First, God will protect us in the valley of the shadow of death. And then second, God will prepare a banquet for us in the presence of our enemies. Now, the third fear we face. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not a few of us are afraid of what the future holds. You know, will my marriage make it? Will I lose my job? Will my health fail me? Will I continue to enjoy the pleasures and the friendship that I enjoy? Or will my friends abandon me? And and when I die, will God welcome me into eternal dwelling? Now, I must say, it's really not hard to be optimistic when your bank account is doing well and you're healthy as a horse and you've just been accepted into an MBA program at Harvard and the girl of your dreams has just said yes. I mean, why not be optimistic? But when you're not sure of your finances or whether they will hold, and you've had the scare at the doctor's office, and your application to Harvard has been rejected, and the girl of your dreams is dating another guy who made it into Harvard. Well, excuse me, but who can blame you if you're feeling a bit pessimistic? And I make this point because I want us to consider what it is that is being promised and what is not being promised. The Hebrew word here translated as mercy is the wonderful Hebrew word chesed. It's a word that's often translated as loving kindness. It speaks of God's grace given to us in his covenant. It is that word which is ultimately taken up in the cross, in which because of Christ's death on our behalf, God's anger has been removed from us and his love has been poured out onto us. So let's put it together. God's goodness is that which causes him to actively seek out our eternal well-being. That's to say, God will ensure that all that you face in this life will serve your eternal well-being. God is so interested in your best possible eternity that he is arranging all things for your good. Even your enemies will serve that purpose. Your task is to do no more than to take God at his word. Simply believe that he is your shepherd and that your shepherd is shepherding you to the very best eternally green pastures. Take it to heart. He's watching over you for good. Now then, this is so important, so so please listen. When David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he's expressing optimism for the future. Now, it's been argued by some that the term forever is literally translated as length of days, and so the argument goes like this. All that David is expressing at the end of this psalm is that he will find delight in the tabernacle of God, for however many days that God has given him. But listen, the phrase length of days is actually another way of saying for days without end. That's because that same phrase is used in other places in the Old Testament. So for instance, in Psalm 21 verse four, David writes of himself and he says, he asked life of you. That is, David asked God to bless him with a long life. But listen to the entire verse. 
He asked life of you. You gave it to him length of days forever and ever. Ah, that's what length of days means to David. It means forever and ever. And then again in Psalm 93, verse 5, your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Now, that word translated as forevermore is our phrase, length of days. Holiness befits your house as long as there are days. See, in God's economy, days never end. They go on forever. Length of days means eternally. See, that's the Hebrew way of saying forevermore. And that's what David is saying here. The goodness and mercy that have begun to be my portion in this life will go on for length of days, and by that he means for eternity. And that's the portion of every child of God. Our best days are definitely not behind us. They are ahead of us. And that's why David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, after all, given the list of God's daily provision, and then God's care for him in the future, what left is there for David to want? God has provided him with more than enough. He has no further wants. God has been more than enough. Thanks, John. Okay, I'm going way back here, right to the beginning of your message. And I don't know if I'm gonna pronounce this right, but El Camino del Morte? Is that right? Yeah, something like that, I think. I'm not a Spanish speaker either, man. <laughs> you know, I got to think to myself, you know, I just assume just avoid that road, but I guess, really, we can't avoid the valleys, can we? No, we sure can't. I mean, that's such a good point. We will walk through valleys. You know, eventually, we'll walk through that valley, which is the valley of our own death, but we will walk through other valleys that will seem overwhelmingly ominous to us. Uh, but I will not fear. You know, this is, uh, this is not that I am so brave, but this is because I am so confident that the shepherd who protects me, his rod and his staff, that is, he keeps me in line and he keeps the enemies away so that in the end of the day, I will emerge. I mean, I just love that when, you know, when Spurgeon says, you know, we're passing through the valley, we're not staying in the valley. So every believer just needs to take heart. Our Heavenly Father knows how to take us all the way through to the other side. We will emerge victorious because of his care. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow for the continuation of God's provision right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We teach the Bible. That's the core of everything we strive to do at Back to the Bible Canada. It's the Bible that provides us everything we need to know about God, about Jesus, about salvation, about the power of the Holy Spirit, about the promise of eternity, and so much more. In July, Dr. John Newfeld will be focusing his attention on the Bible on our Truth and Life Today program. It's authenticity, it's trustworthiness, it's importance and significance to every believer. Join us on Joy TV Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. Pacific, Sundays at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, on YouTube at truthandlifetoday.com or by downloading the Back to the Bible Canada mobile app. The Bible is critical to the faith of every believer. Join us in discovering so much more. And for everything else you need to know about Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.